0: Wow, we had some technical difficulties getting started there, guys. Sorry about the late start. The problem is when uh, when we, when, whenever we have a guest on, if they have an Apple computer, Safari hates StreamYard for some reason. So mm-hmm. um, Dr. Lavoie had a little trouble uh, getting connected with us. But you guys know the routine. We typically ask everybody to please like, subscribe, go check out our locals. We're going to have a conversation with Dr. Lavoie tonight about his book. And then Rob and I will probably do a little segment. For our locals supporters afterward, um, but to begin with, uh, Dr. Lavoie, it is welcome to our show. Uh, Rob, Rob had suggested getting you on. He read your book and he thought it was phenomenal. Uh, a couple of a couple of things about it, and we were just wondering what even got you interested in starting to research the shroud.
1: Well, I uh, it was uh, we may say it was by accident. I was uh, a freshman at uh, Boston College. I was in pre med. And uh, I remember going down into Boston, came into this uh, old bookstore, and found this book called The Doctor at Calvary by Dr. Pierre Barbet. He was a French surgeon, and I thought he was really just simply going to talk about the crucifixion of Jesus, but I read the book, and then for the first time in my life, I heard about the Shroud of Turin, which I never heard about before. I was fascinated by it, but uh, put it aside, and the next time I saw it was 17, 18 years later, uh, I'm just starting my practice in internal medicine in Boston. Uh, I opened up the Boston Globe, and there is a picture of the Shroud of it's going to be. It was 1978, and it says they're going to have a, a, an exhibit on it. It's the first time they were having an exhibit since 1933, so it's really quite a thing. And so I started to look into it and just talk to my wife, and we decided to go. Uh, I was very fortunate because I met, uh, there was a big um, uh, scientific study that was being done there in 1978 by about 50 Americans. I got involved. Uh, one of the priests, Father P- Peter Rinaldi, uh, who, uh, was very helpful. He was the, sort of the man behind the scene. He introduced me to all these people. Uh, I, some of them have become uh, lifelong friends. Uh, I also got a chance to, go, to take photographs, and I went to their a conference that they had at that time. However, I'll tell you when I get back, I really didn't need the shroud for my face. And I wanted, I wasn't, I was still a skeptic, Uh, but I started to look at the cloth and I just decided, well, I'll look at one of these. It was a a blood mark that was very interesting to me because it was an off image blood mark uh, off uh, uh, the elbow. And uh, I, um, I, no one knew how that got there. So I, I was fascinated by it. Worked on it a while, and then someone—I was very fortunate. I had a friend of mine who purchased a very lo- the full size copy of the shroud, uh, with you know photograph, of course. And uh, one day I decided to put that over myself, and then I discovered where where that blood mark came from, and with that I realized that indeed there was a crucified man that was placed in this cloth. And that started me off. And then I start, it went from there. Uh, but always a uh, skeptic uh, in a sense. And being a skeptic was very good because I discovered a lot of things because I questioned a lot of things. And as I questioned these things, I got answers. And those answers were the right answers rather than a forger doing it and so forth. And then I also seeked anybody that said it was a fake and it was, you know, it was a... Uh, and they were reputable in any way, I would seek them out and I would go to their lectures or whatever. And, 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 and every time I did, I found that they really didn't have great data. And uh, so here I am. Uh, we one, we yeah,
0: interviewed, we interviewed Barry Schwartz on Tuesday. Um, he was one of the photographers on the project and uh he, what what most people found interesting is that Barry actually never converted or anything, but he truly does believe it's the burial cloth of Jesus, you know. So, it, which is an interesting thing that a guy could say this is what it claims to be, but he's not affected by it. So, where what where were you in 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 your life of faith when this when you get this opportunity to go and see it?
1: Well, I had a I I think a, I I know Barry. He's a he's a great guy. He's done a wonderful. Job with uh, shroudphotos.com, a tremendous amount of work he's done, putting, uh, uh, bringing a lot of information to the public, which I just think is terrific, and uh, you know he's a great guy. I've known him for many many years. Um, uh, but my my situation was this: I had my faith, and I didn't need the shroud of Turin yeah. for my. I didn't care if what it was. I was only interested in the truth about it and so as i told you as i mentioned to you i was such a skeptic that i really didn't want to perpetrate a fraud that was about the last thing to do and there was when i wrote my first book was about 25 years ago i mean i was practically at the end and i i'll tell you i would have tossed the whole thing out if i thought in any time in any way there was a fraud here so Anyway, that's a good thing because I, I, it was something I didn't need or why I, I could have, like I said, tossed it out anytime. That yeah. was that's how I stood. And um.
0: Saying- so, uh, in, in your opinion, what are some of the most compelling pieces of evidence that say this is a genuine, that it is what it claims to be? Like, is there anything that's because when we spoke to Barry, we didn't really get into all the details, we just kind of went through what the testing was and the things like that like what are the most compelling pieces of evidence to say that this actually is what it claims to be
1: well there's a lot of compelling evidence i mean it's from where you go i think for your audience for some of the people in your audience maybe they all know exactly what the shroud of Turin is but a few people out there may not but it's anyway it's a cloth that's 20 that's uh 14 feet long three and a half feet wide has a very faint image of the front and back of a naked man, and it has all these blood marks on it, and all of them are consistent with uh, uh, the <clears throat> the burial, the, uh, the passion and burial of Jesus, as we read in the Gospel of John. Uh, and uh, there's some there's some parallel marks that are brown marks uh, across the shroud as well. Those are burn marks from 1532. It's made of flax and linen. And uh, so that's just the basics. If you have to have it a picture of that, that would be great. Uh, but anyway, it uh, we can go from there. I think the most important thing is to realize that on this cloth that there are two events that occurred. One of them were the was the blood marks, uh, definitely from a crucified man. I've made presentations of this for like forty five years to physicians and everyone and. The forensics of the crucifixion of this when you show it, I have never had in those all those years anybody come back to me and say, "Well you really believe it's a crucified man because the the evidence is so powerful. there's no question yeah. so, what, what what
0: from from your perspective what what are some of the things that you found that you thought weren't being discussed like so uh, so what made you even write a book was there things that you saw that were that nobody else saw?
1: Right, I did. I did a lot of my own work. Uh, there's a lot of books that are written that are, you know, people are become very interested in the shroud and they gather all the different, you know, the materials and so forth on it, and then they put it all together. In my case, of course, I gather materials that are what I think are very, very important, and I in in the book I have a, a full chapter on what happened with uh with uh, the Sturp team. And uh, I was very fortunate. I interviewed a number of those guys uh, and uh, and the whole thing, uh, including, and I became very friendly with other people who were involved, like uh, uh, Al Adler, who discovered there was blood on this cloth. He and I talked for years, uh, sometimes three hours at a time, uh, discussing this cloth. Uh, and then, uh, <clears throat> uh, so it really... There, there's so much there. So I've got all that information in there that I think is most pertinent with regard to the science from the point of view of looking at the cloth itself. And I think it's worthwhile going over a couple of those things. One of them is the fact uh, Al Adler was a chemist. And he was an expert in porphyrins, and a hemoglobin breaks down, and it it breaks it down into porphyrins. And he's the man that discovered, indeed, that there was blood on this cloth. And then, when you look at this cloth from a uh, gross level, you can see that some of the this blood actually goes sinks into the cloth. And if you look at under a uh, uh, so let's say thirty two times uh, magnification, you can see the the uh, the topmost uh, areas have been abraded off and but it actually sinks in into the weave and around into the area. so you it's really there so we have and it's really blood and again it's really blood uh the all the uh forensics and so forth tell us it's really the blood of a man who was who is crucified uh the other the other piece of it for for your for the audience is really the uh, the image itself, that is absolutely unique in the whole world. Uh, <clears throat> it's the, the th- just take a thread of, of, the, of, the, uh, of the shroud itself, and it's made up of many, many fibers. And those fibers are way less, the diameters of those fibers are way less than the hairs on your head. And it's the, it's the, what, why we see the image is the yellowing of fibers like that and it is very superficial now i mentioned i said that it's less than the weight lower than the diameters of the hairs on your head and those fibers uh are only one to two fibers deep with regard to seeing the shroud it's incredible uh there's no way that that could be a painting or and plus the fact that adler as well did a lot of chemical studies and there's no paint dye or stain on there and what can Caused, it's, the yellowing is caused by a dehydrative oxidation, which is really a degradation of, of linen. Uh, you be at your grandmother's, and uh, she'll have a linen cloth, and there's a pot on there, and you uh, all pick up the pot, and you see it's white in the middle, and it's sort of yellow around. That's the degradation of the, of the material, and uh, acid, heat, and light can do that, but the shroud itself has never been reproduced. Uh, at that microscopic level, one, so one
0: of the most interesting things I found about the shroud, and and we talked about it a little bit with Barry, was that the image itself doesn't appear as though it was wrapped around his body. It's almost as if the shroud was pulled taut, and there's it's not like it's pressed against his body where there's there's like um, uh, I don't know how you'd say it, like a smudging of the image or anything. It just, it almost seems like there that the the cloth itself was pulled tight as the image was made. And, and I heard um, there was a particle physicist saying that there, there, it, it was almost as if there was no gravity in the tomb when this image was created.
1: Right. So uh, that kind of, uh, that thought uh, is something that I did many, many years ago uh, and brought that to, uh, into the, in, in, into the scientific world with regard to, I did a study back in the 80s regarding the, uh, you saw blood, but I was looking at the uh, blood on the hair and, uh, and I had this picture across this, uh, the, uh, across my desk in my practice. And, uh, I wondered if that, that blood went out too far. I don't know. So I took it home and I did a, uh, um, uh, a cutout of that blood and then placed it on a volunteer's face. And then we painted in those cutouts. And we discovered, without any question, that the blood did not originate from the hair, but the blood originated from the face. So, in other words, it was on the temples and cheeks of the man of the shroud. The blood was not uh, on the face per se. It was, uh, excuse me, it was on the face per se, uh, and the cloth actually covered around, was placed and covered around the sides of the the face. It also covered around the sides of the body because the blood mark that I was interested in, was the blood mark off the left elbow. And that shows that not only that, I'll I'll get back to that in a minute, but let's talk about the blood on the face. So what happens is that uh, you, you get, it seems that the cloth, and this is what I would say, it seems as if the cloth was stretched out and uh, the blood, the, the image, the negative image got onto the cloth uh, with the cloth actually stretched out. And therefore, once it, it because it was stretched out, it then, uh, it looks like it's out in the hair. But actually, those blood marks actually were on his, the sides of his face. So, so that study is in my book, uh, The Shroud of Jesus, uh, published by Sophia Press and uh it's um it's a fascinating study it's, it's gone around the world and nobody has really an, an answer to it and of course this concept of, of cloth being stretched out comes from uh this is this is not just this you, you can see this physically and i have the photographs and everything in my book i have about 80 photographs in my book and uh i got all those photographs from vernon miller who was the uh, Official photographer, scientific photographer of the STERP group and uh and all those and he and I were great friends and he uh so anyway you can and the other thing that I do is that anything that I talk about, people can see. I have photographs for everything, so what I say, you can see it and then you can make up your mind whether you think it's real or not yeah uh, that's where I'm at.
0: So one of the most interesting things uh, that that me and Rob were talking about on your book is how you you kind of have this theory that Saint John is giving us little glimpses and hints that he has the shroud throughout the Gospel of John, right?
1: Yeah it's it's not it's not a theory it's just what it's what's there. It's not a theory it's there. I've yeah. I've had, I've had uh, many. Um, uh, Scholars, you know, basically look at that. Scott Hahn, uh, Mike Aquilina, uh, Juergen Leas, uh, uh, Father Rocky from Relevant Radio. They've they've endorsed my book. They've looked at that. And uh, in other words, from the point of view, because I what it is, is that uh, I don't like dealing in theories. I just deal in fact. Yeah. Uh, I'm, inter- I'm a fact guy. I'm a physician. When I go to a patient, patient's bedside, I deal with facts. I can't deal with theories. So what do we have in the book? I'm not dealing with theories. I'm dealing with facts. You can, people can, again, look at it and say, well, is it a fact or not? Here's the picture. They decide for themselves. But that's what I deal with.
0: So Uh, is it more than just when he, when uh, St. John's talking, because I I mean, it's pretty obvious he talks about them running to the tomb and finding the linen cloths and they and the napkin that's covering his face. Is there are there other hints that St. John is dropping in the gospels that people might not catch?
1: Oh, there's a lot of there's a lot going on there. You have to really to to have a discussion about the Gospel of St. John. I have six chapters on, on the Gospel of St. John in the not book,
2: the book. Yeah,
1: but that comes only after ten chapters of forensics and so forth. So, in other words, you can't just jump into Saint you know into Gospel of John without really going into a lot of the forensics to get there. and it's without without and it's actually with the forensics that uh, the things that I did discover that brought me into the Gospel of John because I wasn't into the Gospel of John at all. but once I realized there were things going on. One of the things, of course, I think it's a basic thing, and everybody knows about it and talks about it, is that every single blood mark that you see in the shroud is basically what John actually talks about in the Gospel. Uh, it's you know, if you're in forensics and you're and you and you look, you got a murder mystery and so forth, the murder situation, and well, the witness, a witness or the criminal himself will know how the murder. T- you know, took place and exactly what happened, and so that's what we have here. We have John, so everything that John says is on the shroud, and everything's on the shroud is what John said. This this is way beyond coincidence, kind of thing. Yeah. And that fact that this is a real person, this really brings you to the edge and says it looks very much like this man was there. It's, you can't deny that. It's just the way it is. Those are facts. You yeah. Th- that you're dealing with. You're not dealing with theory here, facts. Uh, and it's fascinating. But uh, that that was one of the reasons why I went to the Gospel of John, because I saw, I felt this man was a genius in the fact that he got all these things down, but he never talked about the image. And, uh, and that's been a big question. Why hasn't John said anything about the image? People feel, well, it can't be the real thing because John hasn't said anything about an image. But the reality of it is this: if you then study and understand what was going on at that time, you have to go through the Jewish world. You can't go through the Catholic world to understand what how John thought. You have to go into the Jewish world, and in the Jewish world, uh, then and today, even you know, with that, to have an image of a man would have been uh, that that the shroud is. Would have been considered, that would have been considered a, an object of idolatry. And even his countrymen would have taken that apart and ripped it up and thrown it into the Dead Sea. Uh, Josephus, a, who a, was who's a historian that lived, and I did a lot of work on that, I, I, <clears throat> was a historian that lived during the time of John, talks about that, about images. People would rather die than have these images around. So it's uh, a very strong feeling. So there was no question. That John could uh, could talk about it. He had to hide it. He had to conceal it. And uh, it takes, you know, and he, he did conceal it. And there's really enough data there to have us understand that that indeed was the case. To try to get into that, I mean, people have to really sit down, read the book to understand it, it was detective work. The whole thing was detective work. I spent forty-five years as a detective, and that's what I wrote the book in that way. You just uh, first you the detective work on the shroud itself, and then the detective work when you get into the Gospel of John. Do you
0: do you think the shroud played any part in the church allowing us to actually make images of Jesus? Right, like because that was a very big contention early on in, in church history. Like we, it was. You have the commandment: make no image, make no image of me, and you know it's it's in the commandments to make no image of God, no good so image. Think-
1: That's right. So you really, you know, there's there's you know, no question. Uh, we have s- situations. People were, you know, you go back. I what happened was this: when I came back from Turin, I had this image, and I said, Ah, oh, this is probably maybe this is a fake. I'm going to go to Harvard and, uh, and I went to see Ernst Kissinger. Now, Ernst Kissinger was a foremost student of the icons. In fact, he was right at the end of his life. He was ready to retire. He was starting to go blind. I went over to see him as a young man, okay? And I said, I want to find out the pictures or paintings that were done like the shroud. That was my attitude. Okay. So he says to me, he said, Look, he said, I, for the few of us experts around the world, the shroud of Turin is really the shroud. We feel the shroud of Constantinople. And uh, and of course, that's historic, We, we which we're not going to probably, we, we shouldn't really get into the history but so much, but this is important. He said, I tell you, he said, the shroud is unique in the world. It doesn't fit into any artistic mode at all. Can you imagine this is what yes. I, I was a pure, unadulterated, absolute expert who spent an entire lifetime doing this. It doesn't fit into any category at all. He yes. said, "You can go and try to find something like that, and but you you'll you won't." And he was yeah, right.
0: Especially from the time period they're claiming it's from, right? Like, the, they're claiming it's a medieval forgery.
1: <laughs> well, that whole thing is nonsense. In fact, yeah. I remember going, see, I really pursued this in, in many ways. I, I went to see Macron out in Chicago, personally, okay? In fact, we were on a radio show at one point for two hours battling it out. Uh, anyway, with Waltham Macron. You've heard of Waltham Macron. He's one of the, the guy that thought it was a fake, Okay back you probably you know you probably don't hear too much about him now but b- that was big time in the past and uh anyway he had he brought a fellow on by the name of Nichols and they talked about they talked about he talked about the fact that this was medieval well I I came with the realization and the knowledge from uh from the from Ernst Kitzinger from from Harvard that this doesn't fit in any category. And this fellow's saying, well, he's got long fingers and this and this and that. So this was obviously medieval. Well, he didn't know what he was talking about because it doesn't fit into any categories. So that's yeah. it. That's, that's a, that's, uh, it, it's not a painting.
0: So from a forensic standpoint, um, do the nails go through his wrist or his hands? Because I've seen, I've seen that debated.
1: Oh, gee, you know, uh, Barbet did a wonderful job. This is the first uh, uh, Barbet. I feel in a lot of ways, Barbet was somewhat as a young man, my mentor, even though he had died. Um, I had met one of uh, the Monsieur Legrand. I met him in uh, actually three times in my life. The last time I met him, he invited me to his his home. Uh, He was he knew uh, Barbet. And that was my connection with Barbet. It was really kind of fun. Uh, he was a grand old man, Monsieur Le Grand. Anyway, um, it turns out that uh, <coughs> Barbet did wonderful work on this. Uh, first of all, uh, and I, I like to give credit where it comes from, who did it. So Barbet, you know, did could use cadavers. He put nails through the hands. The weight of the cadavers would tear through the flesh. And, you know, then he'd do it through the wrist and like you see on the shroud and that would, you know, go through the, it would be going through the bony areas and of the wrist, the bony area of the ear and the ligaments and so forth. That was the place that held up the body. So that was it. The other thing that he did is that he lived in the 30s and 40s during the war and so forth. And he was in a surgeon now. He had to amputate arms because that's what had to be done in those days. And the flesh of the of the of the arm would be still uh, sort of alive. The nerves and so forth, They took that arm off. He would put a nail through the wrist. And at that time, that's when the, the thumb would go inside the hand. You end up with four fingers and uh, no thumb. And you see that all the time. Uh, he did it. Every time he did it, that's what would happen. So the nail does go through the wrist. Okay. There's no question about it. Uh, there's no argument.
2: One of
1: the point where you do not, you know, you, you know, you, you look at the facts and then you, you accept the facts as they are. You start yeah, no, arguing I, about things you're going to waste your whole life.
0: No, I think people question it because uh, at the times when you see the stigmata, where whether it's Padre Pio or St. Francis, they usually get the stigmata in the palms of their hands, right?
1: Yeah. You know, there's a certain, uh, I don't know what that is, a certain psychology. In other words, they believe that that's where it is and that's where they get it. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that doesn't, that's not, that shouldn't, uh, have any effect. What they do is real. It's a real thing that happens. It happens to them. They believe that's where it's at. This is what happens. Uh, if it went somewhere else, it it would be maybe very discouraging to them because they really have this Mm. sense. So I would, I, I wouldn't connect the two. I don't think that's fair.
2: Okay. One of, um, one of my favorite kind of threads throughout your book is you describe very well, how the the transfer of blood to the shroud shows that that this was a man who was crucified in the standard you know position that the Romans crucified people in. But from some of the other blood and fluid transfers, we can tell that at least at some point, this this man wrapped in the shroud was laying down. Yet you describe how the image of the shroud using using shadows and. Um, the way, you know, if, if he was laying on his back, the, the body would have been squished. You describe how this, the image on the shroud itself was of an upright man, yet who had his feet crossed and could not be standing. Could you describe some of that a little and what you think the implications there are?
1: Sure. Thank you for, for bringing that on. because uh, I, I, I'm i not sure how much time we have here. How much time do we have left? we got
2: time. However much
1: you
0: want. Yeah, if you don't have to leave, we're good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, what it is is uh, the the reality. I, I like to go back a little bit to get to uh, to bring you into how that that all happened. And um, actually, I, I had done a lot of work on on the on the blood marks and so forth, and the transfer of blood. Uh, and uh, people have all kinds of theories on the transfer of blood, uh, but there's a certain reality and I wanted to bring that down to the real world. So you could actually, what what I have in the book and I have the photographs of that as well, is that, you know, that you can, uh, once the, 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 the blood has flown it take the, the blood will clot and it will remain moist for a period of time from an hour to two to an hour and a half or whatever. So that, which would allow the transfer of blood to cloth and, uh, and and I uh, and I've done experiments with regard to that, and it works. And those buzz, uh if you do experiments with people in the horizontal position, uh, uh, then that's one of the problems of some some of the uh, people that will say, "Well, it doesn't look like it," or whatever. But the fact is, if it's horizontal, you get a, a different looking uh, transfer because serums collects. It's all on a, it's all on a flat surface. So it's, is the man died in the vertical position. So when the blood, you know, it clots it, that serum drains away and you get another, a different nice neat clot, a nice neat transfer. Uh, And so anyway, I did all that to show that it's, it can happen. It's real. It's not something you where you have to imagine about it. A lot of people sort of think, well, uh, those cloths dried, and they dried So, um, because there's no—they no, um, uh, no they had to have dried because the man was taken from a, a crucified position, and uh, those, if those blood marks were uh, wet, uh, they would be fragile, and they would have been, you know, all over the place. But that piece of information alone, because I did a work on, on the Jewish burial customs as well, that if a man dies a violent death— uh, I want to get I don't want to get into that but mainly is that the Jews uh, today or or way back then and I and I press that all the way back to the time of Jesus uh, through and use scholars and so forth to do that and I have that also written down in the this one of the chapters of the book is that when that blood is um, excuse me I need to get a, a little drink of water
2: yeah no problem. <laughs>
1: okay when that uh so when the tra- you make the transfer i say it's moist you know it has to be moist and whatever some people are saying that it's that it's dried blood and uh and that it remoistens and so forth uh, i tried to do that it's, it can be done but uh there's a paper that just came out that says well it can be done if you have the right Humidity and so forth, uh, but there's only a big problem with that uh, because if you if you say that it's dried blood, um, you're you're what you're taking a big step in doing that because if it's dried blood, you'd have blood all over the place because this man had blood all over his body. If you were if you were with me in an emergency room, and I would just I remember a young man coming in. Covered with blood, covered with blood. I can tell you everything. Jacket, everything, and I said, "My gosh, this man has have what? Quite a gash. It was from the head, okay?" Uh, and uh, I, I looked him over, and he just had a little tiny cut, very tiny cut at all. That well, that's all it was. So you see, the blood and the scalp is very, very. It's it's full of. Uh, uh, of blood. I mean, you, that's one of the things you wear a hat because a lot of blood goes to your scalp and you want to wear a hat when it's cold outside because you want to just keep, keep warm. That's the whole idea. So it turns out that he had blood all over his body. And if you have this, it's a theory, I would call it a theory that it happened because it got, it was dried in the body and then it be moistened with humidity. Then you'd have blood everywhere. Okay. Yeah. You wouldn't have, nice neat clots but what you have are nice neat clots and what that is uh he had blood everywhere and that blood dried and then at the last part of his life those were the last blood flows of his life that are moist that's all that's moist the rest of the blood on the body is dry but those blood clots are moist okay and they are the ones that transfer to the cloth period yeah. if you try to Else, you're going to get blood from everywhere because he he's his full of blood. Yeah, you get my picture. It's, it's very it's a very important thing. Yeah. So, and the other thing is, well, he said that this thing does the blood doesn't smear. Well, you know what happens, and I and I time this. It it takes just seconds uh to really soak up all the blood. In other words, once you put the cloth on the on the body and on a clot, I mean that blood will soak right up there. Okay. And by, by 10, 15, 20 seconds, by, by certainly by a minute, I mean, that's, that's soaked into the cloth. Done. And, uh, and so if you then start to carry the body somewhere else, there's nothing to smear because all the blood is soaked up. It's all dried into the, you know, it's there. And, uh, so, uh, that's why you don't have any smearing. You don't have any smearing of the clots because the Jews, and I'll say this again, because it's very important the Jews were very concerned about life's blood and what we have on the shroud is God's is, is Jesus's life's blood. It, what the life's blood is uh, a a, a Jewish concept going all the way back to Jesus uh, and probably way before is that what happens is that the Jews were concerned. uh, uh, There was a, there was a controversy. I'll go back even further. There was a controversy back in the early eighties and before since, since the shroud was uh, for first photograph once, since they found out that there was an, a hidden image of this man. Uh, people have been arguing about what happened. Uh, and what, so what they said, there were two camps. One camp said uh, the body is uh the body has the. the Jesus died and uh, Jesus died, and he was buried according to the Jewish custom. The Jewish custom says that you have to wash the body, and so those people said, "Look, uh, the body, uh, the body of this man has blood on it, so he can't be Jesus." But Jesus's body was buried according to the Jewish custom and that's washing the body. So therefore, then the other camp said, well, there wasn't time to wash the body. We had no time to, because the Sabbath was imminent. Therefore they would uh they just buried him almost according to the Jewish custom, but they didn't wash it. Well, in the investigation that I did, and I spent a year and a half with my wife working on this, and we went to Harvard and everywhere else, and we had we realized we had to go back into the Jewish world to understand this. Okay, I even had some uh, a fellow I, I flew a fellow up from Washington D.C. Uh, who had spent a lifetime, you know, as a Jewish gentleman, whatever, and to help me to decipher all of this. And it turns out that we do what we discovered. Which that there's an exception to the rule of washing. The exception is that if a, if a man dies a violent death, the blood is not washed off because the Jews were very, and still are very concerned about the blood that's on the body uh, with a violent death. What they do is they quantitate it and qualitate it. They qualitate it by saying that. Uh, it has to happen. Uh, the blood that flows at the time of death is is considered life blood. Okay, uh, and life blood being the takes takes your life away, it's life blood. And that life blood uh, has to there has to be they quantitate it has to be at least a quarter of a log of blood. A log of blood is the contents of six ounce, uh, six eggs. A quarter log of blood is the contents of an egg and a half, a small cup of wine, and you can see uh, all, you, how far you can go with all of that. So that's considered lifeblood. And so what we have on Jesus is mingled blood. We have blood that poured out on him when he was alive, and blood that poured out at the same t- at, at the time he died. That's called mingled blood. So when you look at the at at the at the shroud you're looking at jesus's mingled blood which is considered actually life blood and life blood according to the jews at the time and so forth was considered blood of atonement imagine blood wow okay it's amazing it's all in the book nice wow
0: um rob do we have a couple of questions we we can ask before
1: we
2: before we let doctor go well I, i i um I wanted to to get get
1: uh, yeah. I want me to go a little further. I
2: yeah.
1: I, I apologize. I apologize because I just couldn't help myself in getting into that.
2: No, that was great.
1: Okay, so now what happened is that I, I learned a lot about what went on with regard to uh, blood and so forth, and uh, and I was fascinated by the image, like everybody and everybody said. Well, that's the moment of the resurrection uh, that, that, uh, we see this image because of that. But, you know, I, I did not accept that. And, uh, I, I said to myself, there's nothing on this cloth that convinces me, uh, e- even though we have this marvelous image that this is the moment of the re- resurrection. There's no fact that tells me that anyway, I was doing a work, uh, on the face, uh, the blood on the face that I talked to you about. And, uh, I'll have to make this quick. I realized that uh, when I was looking at the pictures, I had a picture, I took a picture of my colleague who was sitting at the uh, dining room table. And I said, no, the, the man of the shroud is lying down. Lie down here. I took a picture of that man. And uh, again, and uh, and then when the photographs came back, of course, in those days, you had positive and negative photographs. Uh, so what happened was that, uh, I, I I was very anxious to look at the photograph of the fellow I took. I uh, picked the fo- the negative of him, and when I looked at the negative of him, a bearded man lying down, I find it didn't look at all like the man of the shroud. Uh, the, you know, the original negative uh, on the cloth, and so I was again very disappointed. And I said, "Well, this is some kind of a fake or whatever." And I started looking, and then I started looking through the rest of my photos, and uh, I came across uh, the the same gentleman but he was the picture that i took when he was at the dining room table and uh i saw that the the negative looked just like the uh, very much like the negative on the shroud and that meant to me that because there were light areas around the eyes under the nose and so forth that he was in the upright position so he had these shadows and when you're on the lying down you don't have those shadows in other words we know that and in, in generally in life, light comes from above and you have shadows on your body and everybody knows about that, especially in the art world and in the photography world. And um, So I was, that was an awesome moment in my life because I believe right in there I, it was sort of my epiphany that I believe that, that was that indeed, because the man was upright, that it was uh, that it was the moment of the resurrection. Uh, but I went back and I started looking at it some more, and I found more shadows under the pectoral muscles and the hands. And then I looked, I said, is there anything that goes along with that, that he's upright? And lo and behold, I said, it was really like the elephant in the room. I looked at his hair and I saw his hair really came down to his shoulders. And then I looked at the back and the, the hair goes right down the back, just like the person that you would see uh, upright. You see, I'm a physician and I have people come in with long hair I have people come in with long hair all the time, and I'd lay them down on a table and I know exact the hair would fall every single time I don't care mm-hmm. what hair they had dirty hair, whatever it falls down and it flattens out of course when it hits the back so now we had the hair of the man of the shroud that is consistent with an upright person, not somebody lying down and Then if I took you to an autopsy room or a a room where we did uh dissecting or whatever i remember when i was in my young in my 20s when i first did a dissecting i was so surprised when i turned the body over uh of the corpse and there i found it all flat the uh the back was flat not all flat but very big large areas of flatness uh and the buttocks is flat uh the lower legs are flat if you go into a a morgue or whatever uh, that's what you're going to find uh, gravity, uh, gravity just pushes down on the body and flattens it out. Uh, when you look at the back of the man of the shroud and compare it, uh, and I have a lot of photographs in there. I even had a man lying on glass showing that whole thing, comparing the uh, what the the form of the body is when somebody's lying down to the form of the body when they're upright is entirely different. And and on when you look at the shroud, the back of the shroud. Is, doesn't show you these large areas of, of gray, which, which they would uh, if he had been lying down, but they actually show the form of a man who is upright. So that's when, you know, I came to realize that indeed uh, <clears throat> we, have, we have this comparison. We have, what we really have in summary is we have a man that was crucified. Uh, he was uh, laid uh, laid out on his back. The blood marks are absolutely consistent with that but in contrast to those blood marks there is the study of the anatomy and of the image itself and we find that the image is not that of a man lying down but a man who is upright he's not standing but he's actually uh his his feet are crossed he's it looks like he's in midair that's what we have
0: yeah yeah that's 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 pretty wild that's actually amazing. I t- I tell you my my experience with the shroud it led to my conversion so hearing this is just it's so awesome.
1: Well what it is is that this well this this led to me to believe that this is the, this was the moment of the resurrection. I have photographs in the book you can look at them make up your own mind. Uh everybody that I show these to they can see it there's no question. Uh, that is there, uh, and you just just look at it. Make up your own mind, but that's there. So what I talk about, you can see. I don't deal with anything, only with facts, and deal with what's there. That's what brought me finally. When 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 I looked at this image, I said, "Why isn't he standing? If he's resurrected, why isn't he standing?" And I didn't know what to do with that, and so I just I didn't know what to do with a man lifted up like that, uh, just seemed to be lifted up. Not standing, so that's what brought me to the gospels, and then i I said, maybe I'll find the answer in the in the you know in the Bible. so I went and I read Mark, Luke, and Matthew, and I didn't find anything, and then I went to John in <clears throat> chapter twelve verse thirty two and Jesus says, and I, when I'm lifted up from uh, when i uh, and I, when I'm lifted above the earth, will draw all people to myself, lifted above the earth. I mean he was giving me that actually what I was looking at on the shroud lifted up above the earth. So um, I then, uh, the next statement actually said that he was talking about his crucifixion, but I have investigated that fully and properly through the proper, uh, and I went to uh, people like Raymond Brown and other experts on the Gospel of John, and when Jesus talks about lifting up, lifted up, He's talking about not only lifted up uh, uh, in, <clears throat> in on the cross, but lifted up in in resurrection and ascension back to the Father. Uh, and so, anyway, the that's a whole new world that I got into. And I went, I actually went to two years in graduate courses in uh, in studies on the on the Bible, and then study the Gospel of John intently for 10 years to do what I did. These guys have been wonderful. uh, And, uh, but everything's there in the, uh, in the, in the book, uh, the Shroud of Jesus, and uh, it can, you can get it anywhere. And when
0: uh, when did you actually write the book?
1: um, Well, I, you know, it's really a culmination of all the work, you you know, a lot of the work that I did. Let me say that this is a process. Learning about this is—it took a lifetime, and uh, it's a process. I, you know, I've written other books before. I, in other words, I, I, it, that's putting together all the material that I put together over these forty years, and uh, and and put it in the what I believe is in the proper perspective and uh, understanding. Also, with the with the Gospel of John, Gospel of John, you what it comes down to is you only partially know too much uh, know something. Let's put it this way. If we had the Shroud of Turin and we had no Gospels, it would just be an artifact sitting there, what a, possibly a crucified man, and nobody would pay much attention to it. The reason why people pay any attention to it is because of the Gospels. And actually, it's more than that. You can only really understand uh, the Shroud uh, through uh th- through the work of in the words uh in the life of jesus, which john the uh, john the John's gospel does a beautiful job the other the other three don't touch it at all, but John does, and that's obvious as and you'll find that out when you read the book
0: well John was at the foot of the cross and witnessed all of it so um Rob, why don't we give a couple of the qu- the audience questions and and uh we'll go from there
2: okay um Pete here wants to know if there's any indication of a shoulder wound on the shroud. And if so, is it on the right or left shoulder?
1: Okay. Uh, we're talking at the, uh, at the back, there's, there's, <clears throat> there's uh, areas over on the back uh, where you, he was scourged very badly. And uh, we have areas on the back that show that there that a heavy object was uh, really placed on both the right and left portion of his back, like he was carrying something very heavy, uh, in the man of the shroud, which we as, believe this would be his cross uh, or part of his cross, the patibulum or whatever. So uh, there are there are marks like that that show injury from from weight. Uh, okay, <clears throat> anything else?
2: Um, do you have we been able to determine a blood type? or get DNA or anything like that from any of the, the blood clots left on the shroud?
1: Well, uh, people have studied this and they come up with uh, type a B and uh, uh, a B is, uh, they're, they're, that's the least, uh, I mean, as percentage, a uh, smaller percent of people have a B blood uh, it's a universal
0: donor also, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is a, it's a universal, right? Yeah. It's a, Receiver, isn't it a universal receiver? Anyway, I I haven't been into that. Too. It's been a while, but I thought it was a universal receiver. But I I'd have to go back and look at that.
2: When um, Lazarus. Lazarus was called out of the grave, Jesus said, "Untie him." Does the man of the shroud? Does it show him also being tied with straps? I would imagine his his wrists and his feet.
1: Uh that could pot- very that could very well be uh, we don't, I can't, no one has come up or I haven't seen, you know, things that this area is areas on there to tell me that is the case, but that could very well be the case. Uh, you know, it's, it, that's something, uh, you know, I have no definite answer on that.
0: Okay. Well, doctor, we are going to promote your book for you. We thought this is uh I mean, so much information that I ne- that I never knew before. That's so, that's it's so awesome. So, um, thank you for coming on with us. Thank you for your time. We're sorry we had those technical difficulties at the beginning of the show. <laughs> well,
1: I I want to say this that I think you guys are great. I mean, to spend you know the time you do and the dedication you have to bringing out the faith, I think that's wonderful. And I think you have a wonderful audience. Uh, to you know that listens and is interested and wants to expand their knowledge with regard to the with regard to the face so i i congratulate you young men for the kind of work that you're doing god thank bless. you so
0: much yeah thank that's, you that's, that's a great compliment honestly it's a, it's been a very interesting journey rob and i have had for the past few months even just doing this stuff and we've learned a lot along the way so we really do appreciate you coming on uh if you write any other books please le- reach out to us let us know we'll have you back on definitely
1: Thank you very, very much for having me. It was a pleasure being with you. And I, again, sorry we had that little glitch at the beginning. That's ah,
0: nothing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> All
1: right. Thank you so much, thank Dr. LaVoy. Take care. Bye now. You care. too. Goodbye.
0: We'll see you soon. Um. Okay. So what do you want to do? You want to jump over to Rumble? We got a couple of funny videos and stuff. Locals, <laughs> you mean? Yeah, locals. What did I say? Rumble rumble <laughs> i actually have some funny things i say that we could do we're only going to do like a half hour over there tonight because it's late already but we'll do a half hour over there for everybody so if anybody wants okay. to join us jump jumping over to i'm
2: gonna throw up the little outro video just because that helps me separate this stuff when i later on so i'll throw that up and then i'll kill youtube and we'll be over on locals
0: all right see you guys in a few